Amen. Good morning, church. Thank you, Barclays. Give them a hand. Well done. Thank you. This morning's message will not be nearly as long as Ming's announcements. I promise you that. You know, about a year ago, we did a series on the Lord's Prayer. And right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus prompts us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And to explore what Jesus meant by that, we looked at the parable, the unmerciful servant. And guess what? We're going to look at it again this morning. And here's why. Jesus' teaching on forgiveness, and, and just from my personal experience as I work with people, talk with people, listen to people, Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is one of the most difficult teachings for us to accept. It absolutely is. It is, in all of my experiences, I'm working with people, whether whether marriages or friendships, family, whatever it is, Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is one of the most difficult teachings for us to accept. And here's what I know. If you take this teaching um, uh, uh, from Jesus on forgiveness seriously, it can very easily, if you're taking it seriously, it can very easily stir up a lot of frustration. It could very easily stir up a lot of pain. It could very easily stir up even anger. So we need to keep wrestling with it. And I know by the time I'm done, there are going to be many people who are going to be thinking, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? That's good. You know why? It means you're wrestling with it. And if you have questions or whatever, the pastors want to make ourselves uh, available to you, uh, but you don't just have to come to the pastors. There are other people in the church that you can talk with, but the point is that you're wrestling with it. Forgiveness, understanding forgiveness, processing what Jesus is teaching, wrestling with it, it is absolutely critical to the church if we're going to be the church that God calls us to be. It is absolutely critical to the kingdom of God. It is absolutely critical to your own soul. So, every single one of us sin against God. Every single one of us sin against the people in our lives. Now, let me ask you something. As I say that, is there anything in particular that comes to mind? We sin against God. We sin against the people in our lives. What is it that comes to mind? I want you to hold that in your mind. That's one of the two things I want to ask you to hold in your mind as we go through this message together. The truth is, I'm the biggest sinner I know. And the truth is, you're the biggest sinner you know. That's how this deal works. So, we all, every single one of us, including me, we all have a mountain of moral debt that is absolutely impossible for us to pay off on our own. Okay? But also, we have been sinned against. You have been sinned against, right? You all have people in your lives that have sinned against you. My question for you this morning is, who comes to mind when you think about the people that have sinned against you? That's the other thing that I want you to keep in mind this morning. 
Someone probably cheated you financially, or maybe someone you thought that you could trust betrayed you, they hurt you, or, or someone spread lies about you, or someone in your family wounded you. Maybe that person is, is somewhere in this room, or maybe even possibly sitting right next to you. Who is it that comes to mind? Hold them in your mind. Now, my next question is, how motivated are you to extend grace to them? How motivated are you to extend grace to the person or the people that have sinned against you? Now, as a church, it is our desire to be a community of grace because the truth is we cannot expect, we cannot expect to receive much grace from the world, can we? Right. It's all about payback. It's all about revenge. And unfortunately, most of the time, the expectation, whether it's fair or not, the expectation is the same or even lower in churches. But God has designed his church to be a community of grace, a place where we can experience the grace that we need and then extend that grace to other people. That's how God designed the church to work. And that requires something critical. That requires a non-negotiable. That requires an ability to forgive. The ability to forgive people who have sinned against us. Now, look, I'm not just talking about the small bumps and bruises from having our, our, toes, our toes stepped on. Um, and I, I've seen it, whether it is on purpose or even by accident, somebody steps on our toes. Even if it wasn't intentional, we still want to make them pay, Right? If, if, you, if you misunderstood something that someone said to you, but you have it in your mind that they meant this, and they explain, no, I didn't mean that. No, yes, you did. And then we want to make them pay. I mean, even the small little things, we want to make people pay. That's just kind of our, our knee-jerk default reaction. And it causes strains, uh, uh, strained relationships with, within the church, even the little things. Jesus calls us to forgive Major attacks, major offenses, major failures, major letdowns. Jesus calls us to forgive others. Piece of cake, right? No way. Now, most of you might remember the news that uh, came out last March. That a 21-year-old Dylan Roof showed up to a Bible study at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina with a plan to carry out a massacre. He, he came into this Bible study, sat right next to the pastor, and about an hour into the meeting, he pulled out his gun and opened fire. He reloaded multiple times, and by the time it was all said and done, he killed six women and three men, including the pastor. You guys remember that story? He was captured on Thursday, appeared in court on Friday, and charged with nine counts of murder. And, and you can see the video online where the, judge gives, um, where the judge gives the family members of the victims an opportunity to address the man who killed their loved ones in cold blood. And with tears streaming down their faces, one by one, they said to this guy who murdered their friends and family, they said to him that they forgive him. It's crazy. I... Uh, actual quotes, they said things like, may God have mercy on your soul. May God have mercy. You killed my brother. You killed my wife. May God have mercy on your soul. Anthony Thompson said this. He says, I forgive you. My family forgives you. 
but take this opportunity to repent. Give your life to the one that matters most, Christ, so that he can change you and change your ways, no matter what happened to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. How in the world can they say, may God have mercy on your soul? How in the world can they say, we forgive you? I mean, they said, give your life to Christ because we want you to be better off. I mean, this is amazing. I cannot imagine somebody taking out my family, killing them in cold blood, and me forgiving them like that. I can't imagine it. On one hand, we can't imagine being able to forgive like that. On the other hand, when you hear that, there's something that stirs in our soul. Because we know it's right, and we know it's good, and we're blown away by it. We're in awe. So how can we forgive people who sin against us? Because it's not easy, is it? Is it? We default to resentment and revenge, payback and, and bitterness, but, bitterness but, but Jesus tells us to forgive. And you know what? It's not a suggestion. I'll tell you what, I, I had a realization that I just, I'm not even sure I still like it, but I'll share it with you. It hit me that failure to forgive is sin. Does that bother you as much as it does me? That failure to forgive is, is sin? That doesn't sound right, does it? Because they really hurt us. So I struggle with that as well. And you know what? It sucks the life out of you. It does. So what do we do with that? I mean, how do we, how do we process that? Jesus commands us to forgive. And when we don't, it's disobedience. The truth is God wants the best for us. And God's best for us is somehow wrapped up in forgiving the people who have sinned against us. So how can we? How can we forgive? And not just go, you know, through the motions, but forgive them from our heart. In Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching, what do you do when someone sins against you? And that raises a question in, in, in Peter's mind. And in verse 21, it says this, Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Where, where do I draw the line? What's the limit? What are the exceptions? You know, Peter is thinking like a moralist. He is still thinking that the way that you can gain God's acceptance is by keeping the law. And so he wants to be able to limit the command to forgive and then somehow make it doable, somehow make it manageable, somehow lower the, the bar. You know, in Peter's day, the rabbis used to debate this, and, and one rabbi quote is translated this way. If a, if a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, don't forgive him. And then maybe Peter's thinking, you know what? I'll be really generous. I'll double it and add one for good measure. I mean, seven times is pretty good. And what do you think he expected Jesus to say in response to that? Why, that's very charitable, Peter. I mean, I don't think you have to go that far, right? Four times is good, maybe five, right? 
But Peter was wrong. In verse 22, what does Jesus say? He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Man. Same person. Now apply the same number to everybody else that sinned against you. What Jesus is saying is that our forgiveness should be unlimited. He tells us this parable to show us why. But he also gives us the secret to how. So, act one of Jesus' story. Verse 23, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so he sends out the, the, the nasty letters from the collections agency, and then eventually a man owing the king a ton of money was brought into the royal chamber, and a ledger was slammed on the, on the desk in front of the king, and he flips to the page with his name on it, and his eyes move to the bottom of the page, and the king looks at the servant and says, it tells me here that you owe me a ton of money. And the servant says, yes, sir. In fact, you owe me 10,000 talents. And how much is that? Well, some commentators say it was $10 million. You owe me $10 million. Yes, sir. Well, I want my money now. Yeah, um, I really don't have it on me or anywhere else. I don't have it right now. So the king says, in that case, I order that everything you own be auctioned off and that you and your wife and your children be sold into slavery. Now, that wouldn't even put a dent in the $10 million debt. But the king figured at least he'd get something, right? And when the servant hears this, he falls down on his, on, on his knees and he begs, please, just, just give me some time. Have mercy. I'll pay you back. Do you, do you see how pathetic that is? I mean, he's desperate. There's no way that he can pay back that, that $10 million. So what's the king do? He looks at the servant. He grabs the servant's page, he rips it out, and he, I mean, he just shreds it. And he says, you know what? I forgive the debt. You're free. Now go in peace. I mean, can you imagine how that servant must have, must have felt? I mean, I mean, he would have been, you'd think you'd have been floored, right? You'd think he'd be absolutely filled with gratitude. And he'd, tears of relief streaming down his face, trembling with shock. I mean, he must have floated out of there just yelling with joy. But the servant takes an incredibly dark turn. Act 2, verse 28. But then that same servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And in today's terms, that's estimated to be about $5,000, and that's still a pretty decent chunk of change, right? But when you compare it to the crazy debt of $10 million, I mean, that, that's nothing, so what's he do? It says, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. I mean, that's crazy, right? It goes on to say that his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. I will, I will pay you back. That is exactly what the first servant was crying to the king, wasn't it? Give me a little time. Have mercy. I'll pay you back. You would think, at the very least, he'd cut his fellow servant some slack, but he doesn't. He calls the cops. This guy owes me money, and he's not paying me back. You guys need to throw him in jail. And meanwhile, the other servants are, are watching all this go down, and, and they're not just going to stand by and do nothing, right? So they go and they tell the king, and the king says, what? 
you bring that servant to me because we have to have a conversation. Act three of Jesus' story, the servant is escorted into the room and the king enters. The servant bows and the king says, hey, weren't you just here a little while ago? Yes, sir. And you owed me a huge debt, right? Yes, sir. And you got on your knees and, and you begged for mercy, right? Yes, sir. And do you remember what I did? I forgave your astronomical debt. And I just heard that you left here and went to your fellow servant who owed you a small debt compared to what I forgave you. And you had him thrown in jail because he couldn't pay you. Is that true? Uh, yes, sir. That's correct. So in verse 34, it says, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And the king says, hey, you know that jail where your buddy sits? Well, there happens to be a vacancy now. And you're going to stay there until you pay me back every last red cent of that $10 million debt. And as far as we know, he is still there. Right? Well, he had it coming, man. I mean, that's justice. I mean, it's good to see that the system works every now and then. I mean, that's what we want, right? Well, Jesus' story is finished, but then Jesus adds one more thought, and it is the point of the whole story. It's not just the point. It's disturbing. In verse 35, Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, wait. One second. Is Jesus saying that the way we earn forgiveness, that we can earn forgiveness from God by forgiving other people? I mean, I thought we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We are. But wait, wait. Jesus seems to be saying that you can lose God's forgiveness and that he'll throw you into hell if you don't forgive others. So what in the world's going on here? Well, first of all, this is a parable, not an allegory, so you can't press every detail. And when you look at, at Jesus' purpose for telling this parable, we realize that this isn't primarily a story about a king who forgave and then took it back. This is a story about a servant who was offered amazing forgiveness of an astronomical debt and did not receive this generous forgiveness that was offered to him. And how do we know that he didn't receive this generous forgiveness that was offered to him? We know by the way that he responded to his fellow servant. I mean, it would be impossible for him to shake down his servant if he had really received the king's forgiveness. What Jesus is teaching here is that there is an absolute, unbreakable connection between God's grace towards us and our grace towards other people. He is saying that if we have been forgiven by God, then we will forgive other people. And if we don't, it's because we have not received his offer of forgiveness. It's because we have rejected God's forgiveness. And that's what this servant does in the story. And why in the world would he do that? Well, he did not know how much he owed. Again, some commentators suggest that it was $10 million. Now, that is a lot of money in our day, all right? A lot of money in our day. 
But in Jesus' day, it was impossible to owe $10 million. I read that the entire annual revenue for the Roman Empire was $850,000 from all over the globe. With $850,000 in that day, you could pay all the bureaucrats, all the road builders, all the soldiers, the teachers, all the everybody's, and then still have plenty of leftover for, for palaces and diamonds and crowns and gowns. No one could possibly owe $10 million. That's like saying a bajillion gazillion dollars. And so when Jesus says there was a servant that owed his master a bajillion gazillion dollars, the people listening would thought, ha, that's a good one, Jesus, a bajillion gazillion dollars. That's impossible. It is beyond our comprehension. It's like our current national debt, Right? It's beyond the servant's ability or anybody's ability to pay. And you know what? That is the point. The servant in this parable totally missed the point. In the middle of the story, the servant's on his knees begging for more time. He's not asking for forgiveness. He's asking for an extension. It says in verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay back everything. He had no idea of the magnitude of his debt. Therefore, he could not receive this free gift of generous forgiveness. Instead, he was foolishly trying to pay off his debt himself. And since he had not received God's offer of forgiveness, he could not forgive his fellow servant. Now, aren't you so glad that we're not like him? We're exactly like him. Our moralism goes so deep, we refuse to admit the magnitude of our debt. Most, most Christians act like their debt is just, you know, teeny tiny. It's no big deal. I could have paid it off myself. All I needed was a little bit more time. I mean, trying real hard to obey the rules has to let me off the hook somehow, right? Wrong. And as a result of our self-righteousness, we reject the free gift of forgiveness. And since we reject God's offer of forgiveness, we cannot forgive others from our heart. We really can be foolish servants. Now, I want all of us, including me, to examine our hearts this morning, right here, right now. And let's start by imagining that you're the servant who is summoned to stand before the king. And you're, you're brought into the royal chamber, and the king comes in with his huge ledger book, slams it on the table, opens it up, flips your page with your name on it, looks at the bottom line and says, looks like you owe me a bajillion gazillion dollars. Is that correct? And every last single one of us here has the same answer. Yes, sir. That is correct. And so we fall on our knees and, and, and beg the king for mercy. And we know that we cannot beg for more time. Because all eternity would not be enough time. So we beg for mercy. That God would, would cancel our debt. And God says, give me one good reason. And the only response we have to offer is the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid my debt. And you know what the king does? 
He takes that sheet of paper with your name on it, rips it out of the book, and shreds it. And then he looks at you and he says, I forgive your debt. You are free. Go in peace. You know what all this means for those who receive his forgiveness? It means a lot of things, but it especially means that the sins, okay, you're not going to like this. It means that the sins of others against us, somebody sinned against you, that sin of that person against you, as horrible as it may be, fades in significance compared to the infinite debt that you've been forgiven. Let me make a side note here, real quick. As I examine my own heart, and struggle with my own inability to forgive when somebody wounds me somehow, either on purpose or by accident. And I struggle with being able to genuinely forgive that person from my heart. When you struggle with forgiving somebody who sinned against you, and it's painful, what we kind of end up doing is we look at that person and we compare them to us and ourselves and we go, I would never do that. I would never do that to anybody. And maybe it's true. Maybe, maybe by God's grace, you, you, you wouldn't. But then we can't forgive them. We're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. We need to compare ourselves and our own sin against the all-holy God. We need to compare our, our lives against the perfect life of Jesus. We're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. And if we compared ourselves to Jesus, we would see how far we fall short and how much forgiveness he has offered us and be overwhelmed at the great cost he paid in order to forgive our debt. If we compare ourselves to the other person who sinned against us, it will break down and you will want to make them pay. In fact, you will feel like it is right to make that person pay because it's justice. And we commit ourselves to that even though it sucks the life out of us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then in Romans the Apostle Paul says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That is the grace of God in your life. We have been forgiven of our debt. It should fill us with relief and gratitude. That's the only thing that will change our hearts. 
And so I close with the question I asked at the beginning, how in the world can we forgive people who sin against us? Who is that person that sinned against you, that caused you so much pain, and now the lack of forgiveness is even sucking more life, robbing you of more life? How can we forgive that person? Well, I'm telling you, it's not some step-by-step process. It, it, it is not a step-by-step answer. It is a faith in Christ answer. We look to the crust. We look to the cross and trust that Jesus paid our debt that we can never pay. And so the answer to how can we forgive people who sin against us to the extent that we see how much we've been forgiven, we will be able to forgive others. Since God forgave you without limit, the only thing that makes sense is for you to forgive others without limit. Since God forgave me from his heart, the only thing that makes sense is for me to forgive others from my heart. God's forgiveness has power, has power to change us from the inside out. So who is it that that you need to forgive? I'm telling you, it is impossible unless you are overwhelmed by God's grace. Because that is the power to forgive even our enemies. Being overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Amen? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, it is, it is my prayer for every single one of us this morning that you would enable us to receive your diagnosis of our sin, not, not to burden us with condemnation and, and, and guilt. And that's where it ends. But that we would see our, our, our guilt and the condemnation we would have without forgiveness and then see how gracious you were to us to forgive us of our astronomical sin. God, I pray, Lord, that, that you would give us, that your grace would give us the courage to boldly confess our sin to you. Especially our sin of not thinking that it's that bad. That we're not that bad. Forgive us of our, of our self-righteousness. And then, God, I pray that you would fill our hearts the ability to forgive those who have sinned against us. God, I know that the people here who have been uh, sinned against in painful ways are, I know that they are struggling with this right now. And that it, it's very likely that it's stirring up uh, the pain again, or maybe even anger. God, I pray that you would comfort them and remind them that they are your sons and daughters, that you are their loving Heavenly Father, now and forever, the one who will never leave them nor forsake them. God, please enable us to forgive those who have sinned against us because you have forgiven us. 
And so fill our hearts with the love of Christ. The love that was demonstrated by Christ on the cross for us. Fill our hearts with that kind of love for others. Fill our hearts with what Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then, God, I pray as people um, attempt to apply this to their lives and struggle with it, that you would support them by your Holy Spirit, that you would support them through brothers and sisters in the church, that you would enable them to keep wrestling with it. And God, if there's anybody here that's never experienced your forgiveness, that don't know you, they've never trusted you, I pray this morning would be the morning where you open their eyes to see the forgiveness that you offer to them. They could be liberated from their debt of, of, of sin by your free grace alone, knowing that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin on the cross and then rose again to give them new life. God, fill their hearts with courage to follow you this morning trust you this morning. We pray these things in your name.